Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Continuing our series called Equip the Church, looking at some of the themes in Scripture that are the reason that Jesus um, started the church, what he wants us to do and to accomplish, both as individual believers, disciples, and also as a church together. And so we're focusing on that to start off the year. And last week we looked at evangelism, how it's our role as disciples of Jesus to share the good news with others as we go throughout our life on a daily basis. We have this opportunity to share with others the gospel and uh, how it is that we came to experience the salvation that, uh, that God offers us through Jesus. And so this week we're looking at worship. Um, we come together on the weekends to worship together. And we call this a worship service. And certainly that's a big part of how we worship together is through this venue and and at this time. But worship is a lot bigger than that. And it really starts with something much more simple and much more important. And that is, uh, it starts with our heart in the direction of our heart. And so we're going to look at that this morning. But, you know, as a church... Um, Mitchell Berean has existed obviously for a long time. And as far as I can tell, for some time, maybe 15, 20 years, this church has been utilized to help people who don't know God, but have a sense that they need to get right with God or they need some help. They've got uh, something going on in their life and they have that burden and they want to come to church and find out who God is and who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And, And so as far as I can tell, this church has kind of been used that way in this community for a long time to help people come to faith as well as just believers come together to worship. And so um, there's a, out on the sign for a lot of years, and I, I think it's still out there, it says, um, all are welcome. And kind of that idea that anybody can come and uh, hear the gospel and hear about Jesus and make a decision to trust in him. One of the people in our church now, um, who's been here for maybe 11, 12 years, that that's kind of how they came to faith is Kosha Johnson, who's one of, now our administrative assistant. She um, really runs the church. That's how it works with administrative assistants. But, um, but she uh, is very gifted and helps with Celebrate Recovery and all this. But, you know, her entrance into the church was here maybe that many years ago, drive by, see the cross, see the, the building, and, and was drawn to come, but was kind of scared. I'm not sure if coming through the doors would be okay how she'd be viewed, how other people would treat her, didn't have her life all together, wasn't living for God. And so there was some fear and apprehension there, but she came through the doors and experienced a welcoming, loving environment, a lot of smiling faces, and we're glad you're here, and, and, uh, and has grown since then and gotten involved. Obviously, he's on staff now and helps with ministries in our church. So that kind of story, I think, has happened quite a bit here, and, and that's, again, part of the way that God's used this church is as we worship on the weekends, we worship and we gather together with a mixed group of people. Some people are believers and disciples of Jesus, maybe have been for a long time and others may not be uh, yet, but are looking and searching. And so um, kind of just uh, ends up being who we are. And, and so the goal here, obviously, as we worship together is to worship God in spirit and in truth, to worship him in uh, an authentic way, to have the scriptures taught and to hear the gospel and to be able to make a decision um, through all that to know how to follow Jesus. Um, as I stand at the door each Sunday, I try to stand at each service. I try to be there until the last person's come through. And a lot of people come through, if they're coming through, you know, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, they're, I'm sorry, pastor, I'm sorry, you know. And, I, and here's my answer. 
man, I'm just glad you made it, right? You got here. <laughs> and, uh, and I know how hard it is. There's, there's things that happen in life. And especially if you're getting kids up and getting them out the door, boy, that's not easy. And so I'm just very thankful that you got here, that the devil didn't stop you, right? That life didn't stop you. And the truth is, as we church in America, and I know around here, I've, I've listened to the stories in this community and kind of some of the folks that have been around here a long time kind of bemoan a little bit the fact that it used to be that everybody kind of the expectation was everybody went to church and a lot of the community went to church and a lot of people were a part of a church somewhere. And, and, uh, and yet, you know, as life goes on, as time goes on, it's kind of indicative um, of the whole country that church attendance kind of drifts and, and uh, people go a little bit fewer or less often, you know, and kind of regular church attendance these days kind of looks like maybe once in every six weeks, you know, is that's pretty good. And there's different reasons that people struggle and I'm not here to beat you up about it. I'm just saying it's the way it is. And as we worship together, one of the goals here at church is try to help, help you get here more often, help us get here more often, because there's something supernatural and powerful that occurs when we worship together. It's important. It's important for each of us as disciples of Jesus. It's also important for people to be able to come looking for Jesus and be able to find him. And they experience him through us a lot of times in our worship. And so but there's lots of reasons that people get frustrated with church. I found hopefully kind of a humorous list. 12 reasons why this individual says I don't go to sporting events anymore. Maybe some of these relate to church. I don't know. It says every time I went, they asked me for money. Number two, the people sitting in my row didn't seem very friendly. Number three, the seats were very hard. Number four, the coach never came to visit me. Number five, the referees made a decision I didn't agree with. <laughs> Number six, I was sitting with hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing to the game. Number seven, some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. Number eight, the band played some songs I'd never heard before. And number nine, the games are scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. Um, look, there's reasons that we struggle sometimes to get to church. And again, I'm not trying to, to beat you up, but church sometimes doesn't hit right or we don't feel what we're looking for. Or we struggle. And, and listen, uh, somebody that I know kind of correlated to eating meals is that uh, you may not remember every meal you ate in your lifetime. They're not all memorable, but you wouldn't be here if you didn't eat them. Right? And so sometimes we come and we kind of have this sense of, man, I want to hear something. I need to hear from God. I need a touch from God. And to be honest, it may not always happen perfectly, but there is something collectively in your life that's going to help you grow as a follower of Jesus by coming and gathering together to worship with God's people. And my passion and heart as a pastor just help you get here a little more often. Again, it's not beat you up about it, but it hopefully draw you into wanting to worship God more. And so in the scriptures, one of the key passages that we look at that really talks to us about the gathering is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And uh, it says, um, you know, not to forsake the gathering together as the habit, uh, some are in the habit of doing, but so much the more as we see the day approaching. As we see the, the day of Jesus' return coming more quickly we should gather together more often with more of a commitment to each other, more of a passion to worship God. And so, um, you know, the book of Hebrews written to a church, the church in Rome, made up of Jewish Christians who had been 
followers of Moses and the law. They had converted to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and put their faith and trust in him. And then because of persecution, they were drifting back to Judaism. They were going back to become Jews and practicing the Jewish religion because it was legal. They weren't going to be persecuted for being Jews. Within the Roman Empire, it was a legal religion. But the way, as it was called, Christianity following Jesus was illegal. And so they were being persecuted, thrown in prison, thrown to the lions. And that persecution made them not want to gather together. And so we have different kinds of persecution in our culture and country, but we live in a time where we need each other badly and we need to worship together. And part of the reason is kind of my premise for my part of the message. You're going to hear from Pastor Ken this morning too. But part of my, my part of the message is this, that I think authentic worship, real worship, authentic from the heart as we should worship, draws people to God. There's an attractiveness to it because I think each and every person knows somewhere in their heart there is a God and that they need to be right with him. And there's a lot of things that separate us from God, but authentic worship, I think, draws people to God. And it's one of the reasons that when we come together, it's so important that we worship together. But I want to look at, uh, for my part of the message, passage in Matthew chapter 22. And so if you have your Bible, you want to turn there. Matthew 22, and I want to look at verses 34 through 40, where Jesus is being questioned by the religious leaders. And um, in this case, he's asked a question that prompts him to give an answer that I think speaks to our issue of worship this morning and the importance of it. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. So the Pharisees and Sadducees, maybe you've heard of them, they're two different groups of religious leaders. When Jesus walked the earth, the Pharisees were really devout, kind of straight edge, um, following the law of Moses. They hated Rome. Um, they thought Rome uh, was uh, the evil um, empire. And, uh, and so they just had a disdain for, for Rome and, and Roman occupation. The Sadducees kind of worked with Rome. They saw that they could benefit financially. They were a little more secular. They still believed the law, but they had different viewpoints, the Pharisees and Sadducees. And uh, what pre... Um, before this passage, these verses I'm reading, the Sadducees had questioned Jesus regarding the resurrection because the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. And just a little memory device that I learned long ago is the way you can remember that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection is to say this, um, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Ah, come on. It's tough when you're a pastor to come up with good. You didn't laugh at my list. I mean, no. All right. So, so, so here's the thing. Uh, the Sadducees were tripped up, right? Jesus answered them. So now you got the Pharisees. They don't work together except when they got a common enemy and that's Jesus. And so the Pharisees um, are going to try to question him. Verse 35, one of them being one of the Pharisees, an expert in religious law tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Verse 37, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second 
is equally important, meaning just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Worship, it comes from that place. It's a love for God. It's a a desire to express that love to him. And there's lots of different verses. Pastor Ken's gonna mention some different ones where our act of worship, that expression of love comes out in different ways. Part of it is giving our life. But a real big part of it is loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, as Jesus says here. And that's a very specific, specific parts of who we are. It kind of is comprehensive, um, our heart, our soul, our mind. Those are key aspects of who each one of us are at the very core. And so to worship God with all of these things, these aspects of who we are, is comprehensive. We join together when we worship to express our love to God. And when people who don't know God see that, they are moved by it because authentic worship draws people to God. First of all, your heart, what's your heart? Well, it's your emotions, it's uh, what you feel certainly, kind of the the core of who you are. Um, and, And we're to love God, right, with that aspect of who you are. In other words, We're supposed to love him. We're supposed to be passionate about him. We're supposed to love the things that he loves, care about the things he cares about, be moved by the things that he's moved by. Who he is is supposed to influence us more than anything else. And so our love for him, our emotions, the core of who we are, we're to love God with all of that. Um, First John, which we went through in our fall campaign, our memory verses, chapter four, verses seven and eight, I think speak to this. Dear friends, Let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. And so we're called to love God. We learn to love from him and our expression of love is directed back at him. And so we love God with all of our emotions, the core of who we are. Then he says, your soul. Love God with all your heart and then your soul. And your soul, um, when you look at the word, um, best I can tell, it refers to your psyche or your personality. And um, the psychology, right? That aspect of who we are, which is fairly complex. But the things we, certainly that we think about, we feel a little bit in that area. But our personality, you know, maybe you're um, an extrovert, right? You enjoy being around people. Maybe you're an introvert. You like to be alone and uh, spend time in your thoughts. The things that you think about in the sense that reflect into your worries and concerns. Um, We know that anxiety and depression and all those things are something that affects our psyche, has to do with our emotions and our mind as well, but it plays out in our personality and how we deal with things. Maybe conflict is something you enjoy and are motivated by. Maybe conflict is something that makes you want to run and hide and you don't want anything to do with it. That kind of stuff is is, uh, connected to our personality and our psyche. And one of the passages that we learn in some of our discipleship uh, curriculum here at Mitchell Brian is out of Philippians chapter four. And it gives us some direction as far as regarding those types of things, how we react to things from a psychological standpoint. And Philippians chapter four, six and seven says this, don't worry about anything. 
Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And so what we do with our worry, our concern, how we handle all that and process it, regardless of what your personality is, right? The aspects of, your, of who you are in that arena, we're directed at God, trust, right? And obey and pour our concerns on him. Not fear the things in this life, but go to him with our needs. And then uh, mind, which is your intellect, your, your thought process, obviously everything that you have intellectually. And uh, one of the passages speaks to this, which gives us some direction in this area, and it will affect the rest of our life as well, is Psalm 119, verse 97. The psalmist says, Oh, how I love your instructions, also interpreted your law. I think about them all day long. Also interpreted, um, I meditate on them all day long. And so we have uh, a wanna here. We have memory verses at times trying to encourage you guys to memorize scripture. What that does is with your mind, using your mind to learn and memorize God's word, uh, cements it in your brain. And so then you're able to meditate on it. And meditation is focused thinking. It's focusing in on the truth of God and discovering through that the application to our lives. And so a lot of times as we uh, spend time in God's word on a daily basis, that gives us the um, kind of the fuel then throughout the day to focus in on a scripture, a truth from God's word. We can meditate on it. And then with the Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit's help, we can apply it to our lives and learn what it is that we're supposed to grow in and how we change our behaviors. And so our mind's extremely powerful in focusing our thoughts on God and his truth is a big part of what transforms us. We're to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Seeking God is at the heart of worship. Then Jesus talks about loving people. Um, and in Luke, when Jesus gives the greatest commandment, he's asked what the greatest commandment is. In Luke chapter 10, he gives the answer. Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Someone asks him, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And that is, of course, a reflection of what it means to be a good neighbor. And a neighbor is anybody that you run into in life. How do you handle them? How do you react to them? How do you respond to them? And so Jesus says, loving God and loving people. Those are the two keys as we go through life of what it means to love God and to worship him. And so this is what we're called to do in our lives. This is the heart of worship. And so we come together to worship God, to love people, love each other, to invite people to come to know him. And this is what makes our church powerful and effective in many ways. There's a song back from the, uh, I think it's the 90s, that expresses it was a worship song. It's kind of old school now, um, but it's called I Love You, Lord. And it, it goes like this. I think it, it captures a lot of what it means to come together and worship. It says, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound 
in your ear. Pastor Ken's going to come and share now with you uh, some thoughts that he has on worship. John looked at my notes and he said, you got two hours here, man. So we whittled it down to an hour. Just kidding. Um, Now, this is an honor to be able to talk about an area that I am passionate and excited about, but to pack it all into 15, 20 minutes, it's like, tell me how to run a coffee shop in 20 minutes or how to rebuild a bathroom or a house or or structure or do eye surgery, right? Um, So I'm passionate about this. This isn't a deep dive, but this is something um, that I'm excited about. Um, We looked at several different directions to go. And so um, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah, though, um, for my portion here. Isaiah chapter 1, if you want to turn there, if you've got your Bible. Um, just like John said, this, is, this passage is going to reemphasize that worship is a surrender to God, a surrender of a heart and devotion to God. It influences every area of our lives. Worship isn't exclusive to the short amount of time that we have on Sunday mornings to sing together or even the worship service on the weekend as a whole. And that's what, kind of what we always say, you know, go to worship service. And yes, this is an important part of our walk together as individuals for our growth. And God commands it and asks us to do that. Um, and it's, it's good for our growth together. And we get to minister to one another and use our gifts together. But that's not exclusively what worship is about. And we're going to see that in... Isaiah chapter 1 here, we can start missing the point of what worship really is if we see Sunday as being exclusively what worship is. If God calls us to worship, it's not just going to church on Sunday mornings. But this is kind of what happened to the people of Judah here as Isaiah is called to prophesy to them. And Isaiah um, served under the reign of four different kings, three of them which were good. Judah had some good kings. Israel didn't really. When the nation split, um, Judah had some good ones. Israel did not. There was one bad king, Ahaz, and his influence over the people of Israel as he brought in the Assyrian gods and and modes of thinking and their values. Um, Assyrians were sacrificing um, babies to idols um, and doing other wicked things, and Ahaz brought that in, and he desecrated the temple, and his influence uh, caused the people of Israel to go astray. And you can start seeing that influence um, here as we get into Isaiah. Now, in the interest of time, um, we're going to skip a lot of that beginning there, and we're going to jump to verse 11. Now, there's a lot of important things there that share what... Israel is doing as they rebel and turn away from God and and they're doing their own thing. But we're going to jump ahead to verse 11 here in Isaiah chapter 1. And it says this. By the way, I'm in the extra spiritual version if you guys are wondering which version. The ESV, you heard that? Josh, where are you at? He told me that one. Um, The English Standard Version. And it says this. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Didn't God set up this system of worship and tell them, this is how you worship me and I want you to sacrifice and this is going to be a temporary covering or atonement for your sin. And now he's saying, what are you doing here? Why are you bringing your sacrifices to me? I've had enough. And they're not bringing just the worst. 
They're bringing the fattened ones. They're bringing great offerings here to God. But God's saying, I, I don't want those anymore. What's going on here? The people are bringing their best, aren't they? In Exodus 29, verse 18, we see where God set this up as the people are delivered from uh, the land of Egypt and God sets up the tabernacle and a whole system, which when we go through a worship series, we're going to look at that and we're going to see how God set this all up. But part of it is this, a, this temporary atonement of sin. And verse 18 of chapter 29 of Exodus, is, uh, God says, burn the whole ram at the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And God now is saying, why are you bringing this? I don't, I don't know why you're bringing this to me. We're going to see why and what's going on here. Let's look at verse 12. When you come to me, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Trampling of my courts. That word doesn't indicate a seriousness, does it? It doesn't in indicate a sensitivity or a, a mindfulness of the spiritual act that they're going to take care of, um, that they're going to do here in the, in the presence of God. There isn't any reverence in this word trampling. And I just wonder how many times do we come on Sunday mornings and we come with this trampling attitude to just check off the box or this is what I need to do, um, but I'm thinking more about what's going on afterward um, or we have an argument with somebody in the morning before we come and we just come in with the wrong heart and mind and attitude and we don't know exactly what we're doing, but we know that we're supposed to do something on Sunday mornings um, and that's kind of what they were doing. They didn't know really what they were doing, but they knew they had to trample in and just take care of business and get out of there, right? I wonder how many of us are doing that as we come to church. Do we really know the purpose of why we're gathering together? The people of Judah, they had lost the perspective. They had become careless. And it gives us an opportunity to learn from them what God's heart is when he starts seeing when we start missing the point. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. God, as he continues to speak through the prophet Isaiah in 13, says this, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocation, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. It doesn't go together. Sin and your assembly doesn't go together. 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. We see that even the meaningful festivals and some that God set up, they were meant to remind the people of God's goodness, his faithfulness, his glory and character. They're supposed to bless the heart of God and point people's attention to him. The people of Judah have lost the meaning and all of a sudden they're just going through the motions and God says it doesn't have meaning. Stop it. You're wasting your time. We just finished Christmas. How many of us just kind of blew through that and we did the elf on the shelf and we did the Santa thing and we got the gifts and blew, blew right through it. Didn't consider what we were really to be focusing on. Yeah, we went to Christmas Eve service, but did we really dial in? And the people of Judah here, all their things that were supposed to point their attention to God, they had lost track of it, lost the meaning. Man, you may be thinking, gosh, Ken, you're a really downer, man. Hopefully you don't preach again because uh, this, is, this is really bad news and this is depressing. But the, the news has to get more dark and more depressing for there to be hope and the light to shine brighter, right, church? 
So that's what we're doing. We're seeing what happens when we lose focus and we can do this as a church. We can do this as individuals. We can get off target. The light is going to be so much sweeter when we see the depth and the darkness of how far off track we can get. And we can avoid the pitfalls that the people of Judah fell into. So hang with me as we get one more step worse in verse 15. And we've done this today here. When you spread out your hands, what does it say? I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. And your hands are full of blood. I will not listen. That's scary, isn't it? I'm not going to listen. When you come to worship me, I don't even want to hear it. I'm plugging my ears. Your hands are full of blood. I can't take this anymore. I can't listen to it anymore. It's because what they're saying isn't lining up with what they're doing. There's a mismatch there. It's not affecting their whole life. They're saying one thing and doing another thing. We call that hypocrisy. And yes, we see that in each other, but we see it in ourselves too, right? As we say, oh, worship God and putting our arms around our wives. And and yet we know what's going on behind the scenes a lot of times, right? There's a mismatch. God says, you're living in iniquity. You have in verse two of Isaiah one, says you've rebelled against me. King Saul rebelled. He disobeyed God when God told him to annihilate the entire area and he saved some of the sheep. And he told Samuel, King Saul told Samuel, well, I saved the sheep so I could sacrifice to your God. Well, he had just disobeyed God. And this is what is said here in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 to 23. Samuel said to King Saul, Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin, is as the sin of divination. It's demonic. Rebellion is demonic. And presumption as the iniquity of idolatry. If we presume, it's like making an idol. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul's act of obedience would have been more worshipful than saving the lambs and sacrificing them like God had commanded and set up in Exodus. His obedience to the command would have been worship, we see. Let's look at... Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I have to bring this up every time we talk about worship because it is my theme verses for my life and for the worship ministry. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us what worship is. And it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It tells us what worship is. It's laying down and surrendering our lives and sacrificing our wills, our desires for the Lord. And then it continues on, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We're not conforming to the priorities of the world. 
We're looking to God for our direction. We're looking to God for how we are to move. How are, how are we going to spend our money? How are we going to interact with other people? How am I going to uh, move in my job? We're looking to God for those things and not to the world and its affirmation and accreditation. One of my favorite, it is my favorite song, Rich Mullins, If I Stand. The stuff of earth competes for the allegiance that I owe only to the giver of all good things. So I told you there was hope, right? So let's move to, let's move to the light now. God starts telling them, well, this is how, you, how we get things right. And in 16 and 17, we're going to end at 19 a little bit later here. That's how far we're going. But 16 and 17 here says this, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. And he starts giving just some practical ways that we can start moving closer to God or aligning in worship. And it says this, cease to do evil. Stop doing bad. How do we define what is bad? By the word of God, we've got to know it, right? Learn to do good. Where do we learn how to do good? From the word of God. Seek justice. Not the world's messed up version of justice. How does the Bible define justice? The way the Bible defines justice is completely different than the way the world does. So we look to God's word. Correct oppression. We're defending those who are defenseless. Not looking for our own, in, our own good in it. We may not get anything out of it, but we're, we are correcting oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless, the orphans. How are we caring for people who have nothing to offer us? Plead the widow's cause. These are some practical ways. And I see that worship, these acts of worship, these things of obedience, affect where we live, work, and play, right? And we talk about that as a church. We want to become disciples of God. So as we're becoming disciples of God and we're learning to obey him more, we're really learning to worship God in our everyday life. That's what we're doing. We're learning to align our life with what we're saying and with what the word of God says. And that is what worship is. Worship transforms every area of our lives. God says, worship me with every area of your life. Surrender it all to me. Change the way you're living. Obey me. That's what he's saying in here. There needs to be a change. We can't say, well, I've accepted God and I'm just going to keep on living the way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live. Well, God's not going to listen to your worship because that's not worship. That's not worship at all. Worship is when we surrender to the King of Kings, to Jesus. Lastly, we see a foretelling of what Jesus is doing, is going to do. Here in verse 18, verse 18 says, come. Now let me just stop there. Here Jesus, here God, through the prophet Isaiah is saying, I don't even want to listen to your worship I don't want your sacrifices. It stinks. I turn my back on it. It's repulsive. I want nothing to do with it. But does God stay there? No, he says, come. There's a way. There's a way of deliverance. There is hope. Despite what you've done, despite where things are at right now, let me tell you how things can be made right. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, 
they shall be whiter than snow, as white as snow. All the things I've done, this position of where I'm at in rebellion before you, God, can be washed as white as snow. There's hope there. I want that. I need that. Though they are like red like crimson, they shall become like wool. There's hope despite our carelessness, despite our rebellion, despite our spiritually empty worship. There's hope because we know now that Jesus, the ultimate, perfect, pure worshiper, showed us what it really looks like to worship. And to see that, I want to take us to Luke chapter 22 in the New Testament here. Luke chapter 22, we'll start in verse 41. And it, just to set the stage here, this is at the end of Jesus' ministry. He's about to go to the cross. He has the disciples with him, and he's told them twice at this point to please be praying, please be praying, and they keep falling asleep, right? They're up on the mountain together, and Jesus, part of his prayer to the Father, says this. This is verse 41 of Luke 22. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There it is. That is what worship is. Jesus, the one who spoke you and me into existence, all of creation, surrendered and submitted himself to the will of the Father. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that Jesus worshiped because his act of worship means life for me. It means salvation for me. It means that my sins that were as red as scarlet can now be washed whiter than snow because by faith in Jesus' finished work, I can have salvation. Now, Jesus earlier in his ministry could have taken a shortcut. Satan said, take the path around, bow down and surrender to me and things will be easier for you. You don't have to take this path that you know you're going on. You can take the shortcut and I'll give you glory. But it was a cheap glory. It wasn't an authentic and lasting glory. And I wonder how many of us are buying into Satan's lie and we're taking this shortcut around worship, around what God has called us to. And we're getting this cheap glory because God's called us maybe to something tough, maybe to something difficult. Maybe he's called you maybe overseas or maybe sharing the gospel with your coworker or to, to reconcile with someone or work something out or through or to give in a certain way or to change a job. Maybe God, and that's between you and God. How is he calling you to worship? Are you surrendered and submitted to that? I guarantee there's an impact for God's people and for your own life if you would bow and surrender to God in that. And that is your act of worship to him, just like Jesus did. God, this doesn't make sense to me. This is going to hurt. I'd rather not do it, but your will be done, not mine. That is worship. Jesus endured and he worshiped so that he can wear the king's crown and receive the father's glory and provide redemption for all mankind if we would just submit in worship to him. God is calling, come, be cleansed. 
Your sins are as scarlet. They're wicked. You have rebelled against me. And maybe you're sitting there and thinking, well, I haven't rebelled. Yes, you have. We are all born into rebellion and we live in rebellion. And that is called sin. Every single one of us has been born into this lack of worship towards God and we worship ourselves. And we need to recognize that as sin, God says. And we say, God, I've rebelled against you. I acknowledge my rebellion. It is sin, but I also acknowledge that you died for my sin. And if I place my faith in your finished work, Jesus was the lamb that ended all sacrifices because he was the perfect lamb. If we put our trust in his finished work, he will wash us whiter than snow and we gain eternal life through him. We gain a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a lifestyle of surrender and worship to him. We gain a family where everyone has a gift and we get to grow and hold each other accountable and, and experience the gifts from other people so that we can grow and grow together as a body and worship together. There's a whole meaning to what we do here and it all starts at Jesus, at the gospel, what he's done for us and what he wants to do through us. So if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, if you haven't surrendered, if, you, if you're sitting there and saying, I've never acknowledged my sin before, before the Savior. Do it. Today is the day of salvation. Say, God, I want to worship you. I want to be a worshiper. I surrender and I submit to you. I admit my sin. I claim your sacrifice. I want to walk in newness of life. And if you do that, please talk to myself, my wife, any of the pastors or elders, and we'd love to walk with you and teach you how we can walk together and encourage one another to worship. One more verse, verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Those of us who have experienced salvation in Christ, we know there is blessing we don't have all the answers, but we know we have a, a hope that is secure for eternity. We know that what we do has meaning and value, not just for this life, but for the life to come. We have a purpose that is so much deeper than what the surface level world has to offer. So worship is a heart that's living in surrender to God and it influences every area of our lives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there are some here who are saying, I have never placed my faith in God. I've never surrendered and acknowledged my sin. I pray that they would bow the knee, that you would do a work that only your Holy Spirit can do to bring them into a relationship with you, into a lifestyle of worship empowered by the Holy Spirit. God, and for those of us who are saved, I pray that our words would match up with our lifestyle Thank you for all the opportunities that we have to grow with one another. We jump on those, God, and we want to grow so that we can please your heart and so that your, um, when we worship you, it is a fragrant aroma that you are pleased by and you enjoy as we worship you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.